This week on Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. Yeah, they could definitely do some Luke punching. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they would uh, probably kick Luke's butt. Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels Podcast, where Dashes and Archimedes from Never Tell Me the Odds join Endless, that's me, from Yavin Base, to talk about Star Wars Legion competitive play and improving your game. On today's show, we'll be talking about the Yavin Base Team League, which is opening tomorrow, uh, Krennic and Death Troopers, which were just announced, and they are looking sweet. And uh, later on in the show, we'll have a chat with Kingsley, the two-time Invader League champion, both champion of Season 1 and Season 2. So what's up, guys? How are you doing? Pretty good, man. How are you? Feeling great. How about you, Ork? Good. I was excited for some uh, timely news today. Indeed. It's uh, it's really sweet. We had the Jin and Fat Pathfinders uh, spoilers uh, last week, and now we have the, it is confirmed, Krennic and Death Troopers are coming to Star Wars Legion, so we are big on the Rogue One content. We love Rogue One, so more of that, please, and thank you. All right, yeah. so um, first of all, uh, let's talk about uh, the Avon Base Team League really briefly. Um, I'm, I'm in charge of that, so I just want to get this a couple of announcements out there before we dive into Krennic and the Death Troopers. Um, so tomorrow is going to be when the pairings are posted. Tonight is your last night to register. Registration closes in just under six hours. So I don't know if, you, if you're able to get a team together in that amount of time or if you haven't got a team already. My suggestion is send a message and we'll put you on an alternates list. And if someone needs to drop, uh, we can swap you in um, and we can we can work that all out. But uh, the, the actual pairings will be announced tomorrow morning. And then later that day, uh, Tuesday in the afternoon Pacific time, uh, there'll be a little bit of a broadcast on the Yavin Base uh, Twitch channel talking a little bit about the pairings. And uh, I think we'll have maybe a game played as well. Just a, f- a fun casual game while we you know shoot the shoot the you know what about um, uh, the pairings and how that will all fall out. So uh, keep your eyes peeled. Uh, Team League openings tomorrow, or Team League opens tomorrow, and we'll have the pairings announced, and we'll have a little stream around 3 o'clock Pacific time for the Evan Base Team League. So it's going to be super exciting. Uh, Notorious Scoundrels is part of the Team League, and uh, we are looking forward to uh, meeting all of our fellow teams and beating their faces in. Uh, definitely the first thing. Oh, not beating their faces in? Okay, well, I don't know about you guys. I'm looking I want to forward to beating faces in. I don't, I don't know about you guys. Exactly. That's my battle right. plan. We're, we're coming for you. All right. Uh, I was thinking burning myself. Ah, oh. yes. Okay. Oh, man, don't tip your hand. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. I think I did it hasn't already. even started yet. I, th- I think you did it already, maybe. Okay. So, um, so Fantasy Flight released an article today called Emerging Darkness, which is the announcement of two Imperial expansions for Star Wars Legion. Director Orson Krennic and the Imperial Death Troopers, who are a new special forces unit for the Empire. So let's uh, let's dive right in here and talk about Krennic. Uh, sculpt looking awesome with the old school blaster that Krennic is famous for, and the uh, ISB cloak. And uh, some people were talking earlier a little bit about the split in the back of the cloak for the sculpt. Uh, how do you guys feel about the sculpt in general? Oh my god, I love it. It is amazing. I think that the quality on these models has increased substantially in the past six months, which is like half the duration of the game. I I don't know. There's something about this model that just like embodies the character. It, it's, it's got that kind of stance that he, like the power stance of Krennic like moving forward with the cape, the cape like billowing in the wind. It's I have nothing but good things to say. 
Yeah, I'm really impressed um, by both him and the Death Troopers, and then also by Jin and Pathfinders. Um, I got to say, like, I, I was I was not impressed um, by the corset stuff, or by really, um, you know, some of the stuff since then. But um, except the T47, which looks awesome and unfortunately is not usable. Um, but uh, these these look great. I mean, FFG really up to their game on the on the miniature design and uh, and the sculpts. So. So we'll uh, we'll dive right into the unit. Um, so in terms of role, it's looking kind of like Krennic is another answer to the Rebels' uh, Leia-style commanders. It looks like he is ninety points, um, six health. So it's finally a, an Imperial commander with six health and not five, who is uh, not Pierce immune. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, he's got some great keywords. He's got two. Um, command slots so you can fit both esteemed leader and improvised orders as well as a new card that is introduced in this pack called strict orders which we'll get to in a little bit here gear slot nothing too um, unexpected from a unit like krennic uh, his unarmed is uh, one black so he's pretty terrible in, in uh, melee combat but his ranged uh, combat also pretty decent so range one to two krennic's dt29 pistol a red, a black, and a white, Pierce 1 with Surge to crit. Not bad at all. Does have Sharpshooter 1 in his keyword, so it's, it's comparable to Leia's weapon, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it'll... The fact that it's not range 3, uh, I think, makes it a lot worse than Gears' gun, frankly. Um, I don't think he's a character you want up close, for the most part. Yeah, and he does have a, unlike nearly every other Imperial unit, he does have a white defense die, so. Yeah, he does have a white defense die with Surge to block, so his defense is uh, akin to that of a Rebel Trooper, so he really is kind of Leia in that sense, and that he shares the stat line just in terms of, like, health, courage, Surge crit, Surge block, white defense die. Um, but his, I think the real fireworks, though, are in his uh, keywords. Uh, Entourage, Imperial Death Troopers, we know how Entourage worked with Palpatine, so this is the same. It increases your force limit for special forces, and you get to uh, equip uh, some death troopers. And I believe that the rest of that entourage keyword says you can give an order to those death troopers at range one to two when you get an order as well. So he'll have his uh, his set of pet death troopers following him around that he gets to to give special orders to, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, do you want to hit the other two? Um, yeah, yeah. So that that's no, that's nothing new. Let's do the other two as well. So first off, we have compel, uh, and the reminder text says: after another friendly unit at range one to two rallies, if it is suppressed but not panicked, it may gain one suppression token to perform a free move action. So this looks kind of familiar, doesn't it? This this is like Dauntless a little bit from the it, Pathfinders. It's it's like Dauntless, but all of your units have it seems frankly like if there is a reason to take director krennic it is this keyword i think i mean I, we haven't seen his command cards but like we've seen one of them which we'll talk about in a minute but i think that like of everything we've seen if there is a reason you're taking this this commander other than the fact that he's cheap um it's this keyword that makes him good that's incredible it has no once per round limitation either yeah, it's it's like a dauntless aura that you can use on all of your units that are close. I to love it. Yeah, I love I mean, it so like, much. I I can't count the amount of turns 
like between like turns two and four, you're like, man, I really wish my stormtroopers could like move and shoot. That would be really great right now. And this essentially just says, as long as your you know your troopers aren't panicking, you could you can do that, which seems amazing. I'm already having visions in my head of the frag snowtroopers getting a free. Uh, I guess compulsory move. I don't know. You're being compelled by Krennic, so that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of takes away. You know, we've we've seen that the um, like the specialist uh, like core trooper unit leaders have been spoiled. Um, at least on the imperial side of things, it kind of looks like compel is just like a lot better than putting like a you know little officer in your snowtrooper squads to make sure that they get both their actions. Compel is just like way better than that. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of the inverse of like an inspire, courage, increasing mechanic, right? Because you have to you have to get another suppression token to use it. But like you said, there are so many situations, you know, where you need to double move to an objective, or you really want to move and shoot, or something like that, but you're suppressed, and Chronic allows all of those units to do that. So, uh, I like that a lot from a flavor standpoint too, because you know the empire is all about you know fear and the dark side. Yeah, the other the other thing is that you know if you wanted to like really invest a lot of points in it, and I don't know how good it would be, you know, you could take a bunch of imperial officers to like rip all the suppression that you're giving off, giving to your guys off. It seems like it might be counterproductive, <laughs> but I don't know. That's just a thought. Yeah, it's definitely not like a use all the time thing, but um, for sure it's going to be super useful in some very key situations. This keyword does tie into the strict orders card that uh, we're going to explore in just a moment. But before we go there, let's talk about the last keyword that we haven't discussed, which is called cunning. When your commander-specific command cards are played, if there would be a tie for priority... Uh, treat your command card as though it had one fewer pip. Uh, that's stunningly good. Yeah, so that's yeah. really good. It, it's it's very similar to like the sorry about the mess effect in that you know if Krennic is on the table and Hanik, Hanik, Han is not, um, you just know that Krennic's one pip is going to be the fast. Like it's going to give you initiative. Yeah, and um, uh, with the text on the one pip, that could be pretty important because it's you're giving an order to Krennic, but it looks like um, uh, you can use this for some serious activation control, which is very different from those, most normal one pips. Yeah, and anytime he would tie, he basically wins, except against sorry about the mess. Yeah, I mean, he can't tie sorry about the mess, but... Um... Do you, do you want to kind of, I guess we're kind of talking well, about the one pip already. Couldn't, couldn't he tie if he played a one pip? Like they would both be zero. Right, oh, no, but it, it, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, it's only if they would be tied. So it's really oh. like half of a pip. Yeah. Okay, so in that sense, yeah, it's half a pip. It's only if they would be tied. Okay, that's fair. Okay, helps to, helps to read the fuzzy text before we talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so those are, those are his, uh, sweet new keywords, which we're going to have a lot of fun with in a few months here when he is finally released. Um, the new, uh, command upgrade that he has is called strict orders. When a friendly trooper unit 
with a face-up order token activates, during its rally step, it may remove one suppression token instead of rolling dice. That seems good. I mean, it's it's um, it looks like it's only five points. Yeah, it says it's five points. Yeah. It only works on units that you give orders to, which, if if you're running something like what, you know, the current meta is, it's it's going to be just a handful of non-core units and then a bunch of core units. So, you know, those orders are probably going to non-core units, at least as we currently see things. But this this may allow you to like if you have a core unit in a really key spot where you know in advance when you're handing out orders that you need them to get two actions and maybe they've got like a suppression token on them or you anticipate them getting shot, uh, you can give them an order and make sure that they, they strip that suppression to do, you know, run off with a box or, or get into the, into the end zone on breakthrough or something like that. Yeah. This, this card strikes me as like, it's not really for Krennic. It, it feels like it could be really good on Palpatine with entire Legion where you literally give your entire army an order and like rip it in a suppression token off your entire army. Yeah, I was just about to ask, would it work with Palp? And you're absolutely right, it does work with Palp, and it's like a global aura. It has no range restriction. Uh, well, it 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 has a range restriction in that you've got to be able to give the okay, yeah, yeah, the unit an order. Yeah, well, well I mean, no, na- no restriction natively. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So I mean, like. If, I mean, uh, I suppose you could, no, you can uh, pump out the range for it and take this because you only got one command uh, slot. But, right, you I mean, it's still really long, good. Go, right, go uplink and long range comms, you know? Yeah, you yeah, should, absolutely. Breathe some life into those, even more life into the old like long range comm upgrade. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, everybody's been sort of poo-pooing entire Legion when it was when it was previewed but if we see more command cards command upgrades like this maybe you're going to see some scaling with entire legion could you run a cheap palp with a steamed leader in strict orders instead of improvised that might be kind of sweet he's got the devil command thing going on um i think that's pretty dope yeah be fine i think i i mean i i think that the strict orders is very counterintuitive to like what krennic is trying to do as a commander like he's putting suppression on and i think that strict orders gets a lot worse when your units only have like when your units have more than one suppression token i think it might be specifically good if in the case of the entourage of death troopers like if they're not under pressure and if they end the round with only one suppression you would then strict orders them, and they would activate while removing this that suppression as well. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll we'll get to death troopers in a in a bit, but it looks like they yeah. got disciplined, so I think they do that anyways. Yeah, that might actually be too much of a good thing in that sense. Do you want to talk about this one pip that we? Can yeah, let's sort of see? yeah let's look at the one pip man because this this is a, a wall of text. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so it's called voracious ambition. This one pip card. At the start of the activation phase, place three random order tokens from your order pool face down on this card. You may look at these order tokens at any time. When you would draw an order token from your order pool, you may choose one of the order tokens on this card and use that order token instead. 
Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... Uh, I think it it's kind of like improvised orders, except you know what you're going to get if you decide to throw something back. Yeah, and it's, you know, combined with his cunning ability, um, this gives you order control over four separate units with a one-pip card. So um, it's also interesting in that the tokens are face down on the card that you can look at them, but presumably that means your opponent doesn't know what they are. So you can play some mind games. You know, you've, you've got a one-pip and one order goes to Krennic and then you've got three tokens on that and your opponent's going to be like, which, which tokens are those? Can he activate his important unit when he wants to? I don't know. Yeah, then they kind of have to make their decisions not knowing if you're able to to activate the unit that's important or not, which is really awesome. So I'm guessing you place three random order tokens face down and they're all separate, but then you can look at what they are. That's what it sounds like. So it's kind of like having a... Um, if people are familiar with poker, it's like having a whole card. You, you know what that card is and you can add it to whatever hand you were intending to play. So in this case, you can you can look at the token and then play it when you know you want to do something that's on Voracious Ambition rather than going to the stack. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting generally because even if you don't draw the thing that you wanted to draw um, in the three tokens that you draw randomly, you're still, if that's the case, you still made it much more likely that you're going to draw Thing you want to draw out of the bag right and it's it's just more information too so you know what those tokens are and if, for example you you draw like three core tokens anytime you want to stall with a core unit you can just you can just go to your card instead of going to your bag because you know that you know when you pull something off your card you know what you're getting well i think how is it worded when you would draw an order token from your order pool you may choose one instead so you you do it before you look at the token that you draw. Is that is that what I'm reading right? Yeah, so I'm not saying that, that it's quite like improvised orders and that you can draw two tokens and then decide. But if you've got, you know, if you're going through your activations and you know that you've got, like, a couple of core tokens on that card, um, you know that you can pull one of those and essentially stall. Like if, if you've got some important activation that you didn't give an order to and you didn't pull for the card um, and you want to hold it until late in the round, you can kind of use the tokens on the card because you know exactly what those are. That yeah. makes sense. That seems really good. So that is a pretty sweet little preview of Director Krennic. And I think we can now move on to talk about the companion infantry that are coming with him called Death Troopers, the Imperial Death Troopers unit expansion. And these guys, I tell you, man, the sculpts look absolutely amazing. You've got, uh, I think, what is ostensibly the leader with uh, given the hand signal with the fist, the, the raised fist, and you've got you know a number of uh, heavy weapons that look really sweet. Um, but these, like the Pathfinders, do have the configurable weapon slot. They have just a bevy of slots. They have uh, disciplined one, so they already get to remove a suppression token when you give them an order. And then um, strict orders could have them remove a second one before they activate. So that's kind of how I think the strict orders and discipline stack together. Is that you you give out the you give out the order, they remove a suppression, and then they get activated with strict orders to just flat remove a suppression instead of having to do the rally roll. 
So that's a pretty reliable way to, to remove two suppression on these suckers. Pretty awesome. Just I do want to talk about these models real quick too, just because um, sort of like the Pathfinders, I think they did a really good job of like these guys are kitted out with all kinds of awesome extra details. Like they have grenades strapped to them, they have like extra pistols and um, you know weapons slung over their shoulders, and you got the dynamic pose of the guy with the fist. Um, like FFGs totally stepped up their game. You know, like the stock corset stormtroopers are literally just stormtroopers with their armor and their E11s, and that's it. Um, but these guys look fantastic. They really yeah, do. They're gonna be really fun to paint. Death troopers also have precise two, believe it or not. So when you spend an aim token, you reroll two dice. So if you put that with like a gear slot, does that mean your aim tokens reroll five dice or with the with targeting scopes? That is that is literally what that means. Yeah, it's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's so yeah. cool when you hand it off with like, and they can take hunter too because they have training. Oh yeah, my good I, lord! <laughs> I think I think scopes would be probably overkill, but that would be pretty funny to be. Still, able to still, it would be incredibly good. I mean, without um, scopes, you're rerolling four dice, right? Like, right. Still awesome. Yeah, and if you look at their if we look at their card here, it looks like at least based on their just their stock unit card, they've got one weapon that's two white dice and one weapon that's one black dice. Um, so they're you know. A lot more. That's a lot more firepower than just the stock stormtrooper unit. And if you're, especially in that range, one to two band, with those white dice, you've got a lot of opportunities to to reroll some some blanks into hits. So, yeah, I mean, they definitely have some synergy with um, Krennic, clearly because they've got Entourage, but they they also like precise two on a unit that has like good shooting is actually like might be like really good with beers just because he's tossing out aim tokens and they get to kind of use their precise keyword for free. They also have ready, so they get a free aim when they stand by, which um, fleet troopers have. It's kind of an old keyword, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, again, it, it runs into all the problems that standby does, unless this um, this card does what I think it does, which is the this new card. I think it's going to be called Overwatch. I have no idea. I'm just, total speculation. I think it's going to be called Overwatch, and I think it's going to give them Sentinel. At least I really hope so, which would make that ready keyword worth something rather than, you know, just being a normal standby with all the problems that range two standby has. But um, we can talk about that a little later on um, when we get to the upgrade cards for this unit. But they seem to be like, um, it just turns out our weapon profiles without looking at any of the upgrade cards are kind of a mix of fleets and commandos at the same time. They've got a one to three single black with surge and they've got a one to two double white with surge. And then they're melee. They're throwing red with surge and melee, so they are they are no slouches if you try to enter melee with this unit. Uh, yeah, they could definitely do some Luke punching. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they would uh, probably kick Luke's butt. I don't know. I I think this is like the last unit I would want in melee with Luke, frankly. Like, yeah, they're not, not Pierce immune. So yeah, he'll, he'll definitely dice them up. They're so expensive. It, you like you're really relying on that three three up save to they surge on defense um and they've got red dice to they've only got one wound though you know the, the base death trooper squad it looks like is more expensive than the base royal guard squad for two less wounds i don't know pierce pierce wrecks them yeah snipers especially i think are going to be really 
potentially effective against these guys. Um, just because even if you're removing one model, that's you know, um, that's, that's a lot of points that you're picking up every time you shoot him with a sniper. So, uh, I think okay, so there, so I'm looking further now at these upgrade cards, and I'm so they've got the they've got this grenade launcher configuration. They have a short range version, just like the just like the other um, pathfinders do. Uh, again, it's it's reconfigurable, so when they recover, they can flip it. Uh, but unfortunately, it does have exhaust, so we'll have to see. Um, you know, can you? I guess when you f recover and you unexhaust, it would then be able to reconfigure if you wanted to in the same stroke. So that kind of makes it better. Plus, of course, you have imperial discipline to back them up. So Veers has obviously got some a lot of play here with precise two and with the imperial discipline card for these characters. So, I mean, man, you could go totally luxurious and play like a squad of uplinked death troopers that were going to recover anyway, right? So you'll always, um, you'll just get even more value out of taking that recover action between a reconfigured card and an uplink that's refreshing at the same time. Yeah, I mean, depending on what the, uh, what the weapon ends up kind of flipping over to here, I, I, I sort of think that like Veer's double or triple death troopers could be a thing with uh with his card uh we'll see how good it is but i definitely think that that's something to watch out for yeah i think all else being equal these troopers have a ton of staying power right assuming they don't run into too much pierce and assuming they don't blank every save <laughs> yeah those those saves can be real fickle well it, yeah they sure can i mean i don't think we we know how the um the uh what is it the like robot people think are is gonna be like the medic and the uh specialist back is gonna turn out but that actually could like give you some staying power against snipers potentially that's true um you could also use a unit with a guardian although our irg get wrecked by snipers too so i don't know that you want to be like soaking up sniper fire with irg yeah this this is like where you want a chewbacca <laughs> yeah right um so that's, I think, primarily what it looks like is uh, that we can actually see. Yeah, there's also a couple of heavy weapon dudes that are, are listed here. They don't have a whole lot of spoil, but one of them says impact one to four, uh, has a DLT in front of it. So that's kind of, um, you know, is it going to be another another sniper rifle? Is it going to be uh, something new? It's if I am going to get, I'm going to take a guess and say the guy holding the rifle that's as tall as he is practically is that trooper. Um, definitely looks like has a little bit of anti-vehicle potential. Um, not sure what the dice are. Could be a lot of dice, uh, potentially, you know, might be even be like a three black or two red, two red and a black or something crazy. I'm just speculating. I don't actually know what's there. Then there's another, uh, trooper who's unique. Who's a leader that looks like he is limited one to three. Um, uh, looks like you gain, you gain something. I'm not sure what it says. It looks like it's just an. It could just be inspire because it gives that leader keyword at the end. That's pretty obviously the leader keyword at the bottom. So it's a new, a new heavy weapon as leader kind of idea. Which um, I'm not sure if it's. I don't know if that's actually how it works. Like if you replace the. If you can like add a second heavy weapon trooper behind it, I don't think that's actually how that works. Someone was speculating that oh well, well if he's the leader, doesn't that mean you have a a slot? free for another heavy weapon trooper. I don't think that's actually how that works. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. 
yeah we'll have to see what the rules say about it and again we're gonna have there'll obviously be another rules update before these these uh pathfinders gen krennic and death troopers drop and we'll have to just look into what that what that looks like but man there's there sure is a lot to look forward to in this in these two upcoming expansions and i'm so excited that they've gone all in on rogue one and it's it's nice to see the movie getting more attention i think it's definitely been overlooked heavily uh, in the last year or two and i think people are really coming around to it now yeah i'm pretty stoked for the future of you know what we're seeing just with these releases it, it, first of all they've been much faster you know after we had that four month gap but uh sounds like they're coming up with some really interesting and mechanics to take the game in different ways so yeah for sure all right, so I think with that, we're going to have to move towards our interview. Well, not have to, but we're happy to uh, bring you an interview with Kingsley, the Season 1 and Season 2 Invader League champion. And uh, we're going we're gonna, to um, rejoin you after that. So uh, without further ado, here's that interview. All right, so we have two-time Invader League champion Kingsley on the line. What's going on, man? Hey, not too much, not too much. So uh, we've had two seasons of Invader League, which is uh, the online Legion League on Tabletop Simulator, and you've won both of them. That is true. That is true. So um, let's just dive right in. Uh, let's talk about your Invader League list. Do you want to tell us basically what you ran and then also like what kind of thought went into creating it and why you chose the units? and uh, upgrades that you chose? Yeah, for sure. So during the first season of the Invader League, I had run a Luke and Leia build, and I think it was five Z6 squads, Rebel Troopers, and two ATRTs with laser cannons. For the second season, I was thinking about it. It seemed like there had kind of been a growing consensus against armored units. And as a result of that, I thought that the ATRTs with laser cannons, it was time for them to go. So during the Swiss rounds, I had replaced them with the cheaper uh, 1.4 FD turrets, but I had then actually given those turrets um, the... I had, I had been running them with HQ uplink, which makes them only a little bit cheaper instead of a lot cheaper. And I had been running uh, just a bunch of troopers. Once the And it's important to note also that the Swiss rounds did not allow snipers, because the Invader League believes in purity for the different factions. And at that time, the Rebel Sniper was actually out, but the Imperial Sniper hadn't been previewed. So the Rebel Sniper was banned, and the Rebel Demolitions guy was also banned, so that the Rebels wouldn't have more units than the Imperials. So because those commandos weren't available, I didn't use them during the uh, during the Swiss. I used the 1.4 FD turret instead and then once they became legal i switched to just a pure infantry list where i was still running luke and leia but now i had uh i believe it was six rebel trooper squads five of them had z6s and then a uh and then a three different sniper strike teams one with grappling hooks so then that ends up being a list where you have a lot of infantry you know the rebel trooper with z6 is a very efficient unit it doesn't have the most offensive efficiency of anything in terms of sheer averages, but the advantage that you get from it is that it is able to do that over a long range. And it also is often able to keep a bit safer thanks to Nimble and thanks to its ability to stay in cover while shooting, unlike the fleet troopers who kind of have to expose themselves sometimes to get in. 
So those uh, Z6 squads provide basically the core shooting that you want. Leia has very strong command cards, and she's not that bad at fighting herself. Luke is maybe the best individual fighting model in the game. And then you have several sniper teams to pick off enemies at a long distance. So, um, you know, if you could go back in time, you know, clearly you played like different lists in the Swiss and in the elimination rounds. Do you feel like the list you landed on was definitely better? If you could go back in time, would you have played the list you played in the Swiss in the eliminations, knowing what you know now, even though you won? Or I don't know, how do you, no. how do you feel about that? I think the list that I was playing in the elimination rounds was very solid. The one thing that I would say that maybe wasn't as good was that I had I had five uh, five Z6 squads. Two of them had an extra Rebel Trooper and impact grenades because I was worried that I didn't have enough uh, anti-armor. But armor really didn't show up so much in the in the final bracket, and I think it would have been more efficient to spend those points on something else. I'm not entirely sure what I would have taken. But even just removing the two impact grenades and taking another extra trooper would have been nice, or I could have perhaps used those to convert a squad or two into fleet troopers to get some more close-range firepower. Or, you know, maybe you could cut both the extra troopers and both the impact grenades, use those points to take another Z6 on the 6th squad, and then bid even higher. Oh, that's the other thing that I forgot to mention. This list bid quite high. I forget what the specific number was, but it was like... I think it was maybe a 17-point bid. And that was... I think I was tied for the... Se- I was tied with one other person for the second highest bid. There was one person who bid even more. And that was because, of course, the key positions errata had not gone through at that time. So key positions was very advantageous. And additionally, because this list has so many long-range weapons, it's useful to avoid having disarray and to avoid having limited visibility in particular. Uh, In terms of objectives, that's kind of less relevant. I like eliminating breakthrough because I don't have a lot of really fast units and I kind of like, you know getting into good positions and shooting it out. But that bid let me, I think I, I think I was blue player in all of my matches except for one. And with the key positions errata in place, I think that bid is just a lot less important than it was at this time. So speaking of KP, what do you think of these changes that have, that have taken place between the KP and then uh, rapid reinforcements objectives? Yeah, I think those changes are good for the game. I think that uh, key positions was unbalanced. Um, yeah, I, I, I think key positions favored blue player to a pretty high degree. I don't think it was quite as insane as some people say. For instance, I think in the in the finals match, it was key positions, but I didn't feel incredibly advantaged from it because the way the terrain was set up on the board meant that it wasn't possible to have like two barricades right outside my deployment zone and everybody just stands there or whatever which basically was a situation that I had had in the first Invader League on the, like, Tatooine alleyways map. Yeah, um, Garn picked a, uh, based on the Jetta map, you know, he picked Long March, which hedged out a lot of what would, would be, like, the easy terrain pieces to pick. Yeah, that's the other thing. If the opponent forces key positions, you do get to customize the other objectives to your liking, and you can kind of use that to get an advantage in whatever the least advantageous thing for them is. So that's pretty cool. But the um, 
I don't know. I think in a, there are also situations where key positions would just be really difficult. I think in particular, if you play on tables that don't have enough line of sight blocking terrain, key positions can be extremely harsh because if you have key positions that you can set up where you can defend them easily, you can sort of, sort of make a gun line and your opponent has to come to you. I do think that uh, Boba Fett is a boon to the Imperial players uh, in terms of his ability to potentially secure a bounty and then maybe you can go, you have your one position and then you have the bounty and they have their two positions if they're blue, but then maybe you can win on the tie break. So I think Boba Fett helps a bit. But overall, key positions was still quite blue favored. I'm happy to see that change. What do you think about rapid reinforcements, actually, and uh, how that changes? I think the rapid reinforcement changes are good because the card was often just blank. In the finals, my opponent actually used it fairly effectively. It can be good depending on what the map looks like and how your opponent's deploying and so on. But uh, often it's just kind of a do-nothing card. Like People joke about rapid reinforcements being another clear condition sometimes. Um, and I think the new version of it is more interesting. The other thing is that the new, uh, both the fact that you have to do it so that it doesn't end up just being blank, and then secondly, the fact that the unit comes in on the first turn instead of on the second turn means that there's not as much of an opportunity cost to using it, and actually there's much more of an argument for, oh, you know, I'm going to use this into a really good position for the rest of the game. Um, do you think bits are going to go down um, after the key positions changes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the main reasons to bid, quite frankly, was for key positions. Uh, I anticipate bidding being much less of a thing after uh, these changes have gone through. There are some people that have discussed the possibility that in the future, Jin Urso and the Rebel Pathfinders, with their ability to have that kind of the infiltration deployment, are going to make uh, recover the supplies into the new key positions. I think that remains to be seen, especially because just today... Uh, one of the game designers confirmed, I believe, that the cost of the or the Rebel Pathfinders unit is 68 instead of 60, which people had thought. So that's like a fair bit of price increase, but it was already kind of a pricey unit. But that ability to steal the objective could be really useful in the right situation. So we'll have to see how that turns out. Um, what new stuff are you looking forward to using? Uh, I know some of it's only been partially previewed. But and then, um, how do you think it'll change, like rebel, uh, rebel lists going forward? I'm really interested to see what Chewbacca's other command cards are. I think that Chewbacca, when he first came out, people thought he was substantially cheaper than he later turned out to be. There was a general thought that you know maybe he had a double digit point cost of eighty or ninety, but it turned out that he actually cost 110, which has now been confirmed. Um, so I think there was kind of a sticker shock effect there where people who thought Chewie was okay were suddenly not too happy with him, given that he costs as much as the Wookiee squad with the Bowcaster guy. But the um, I think that with Chewie, you're getting, you're getting some extra stuff that the Wookiees don't have. In particular, you're getting that Guardian 3. I think Guardian is very strong. I think people are underrating it. Uh, I think that... The big question for Chewie is going to be if his command cards that work with Luke and Leia are strong. If they are, I think he could be pretty exciting for Rebels. Um, I'm pretty excited to see what some of those heavy weapon upgrades do with the Pathfinders. And then uh, on the Imperial side of things, I'm really excited about Krennic because I don't really like the commanders that, Imper that the Empire has right now. 
I feel like Vader and Palpatine are quite expensive, and then Veers is just not very good. And Krennic, to me, seems like kind of a similar role to Veers, but in my opinion, better. So with Krennic, you can use... Uh, what, what's that? What's the name of that ability he has that lets you make guys move even if they're suppressed? Uh, compel. Yeah, you can use Compel, and it's sort of like a better version of Inspire in some circumstances, because you, know, you got that infantry squad with one suppression... You do give them another suppression, which is kind of unhype, but in turn you get to move and then shoot, so that's basically getting two actions. I say move and shoot. Obviously there's other actions you might want to take, but uh, it basically mitigates that. Where with rally, sometimes the timing is awkward. Like you activate beers to rally the squad, and then their next activation they shoot at the squad again, and now you still have to deal with that dice roll to see whether or not you get to activate them. The other thing that I really like about Krennic is that I think uh, I think that ability to win ties in command cards is very strong. I think people who have been watching, um, I think I think people said it only applied to his command card, so it's only half of them. But I think as people who have been watching the league results know, there have been a lot of situations where the role to see who has the initiative when both people play like one pip cards ends up being quite important. And I think Krennic being able to win that exchange, I guess except against Han's zero pip card, is going to really pay off. Um, for instance, in that uh, in that last in that last game in the finals with that situation with Luke fighting the Royal Guard and stuff, if my opponent had had Krennic instead of Veers and still had Krennic's one pip, he could use that. He would have a pretty good shot of being able to draw a special forces thing with the extra things that go on the card for that ability and then because his one pip would beat my one pip he could potentially have the royal guard attack luke before he can use that uh that son of skywalker attack for instance and that seems really strong to me i'm actually a lot less hype on the death troopers death troopers like i think aesthetically they're pretty cool but i think there's a substantial i think there's a lot of pierce in the meta right now we've been seeing people using um We've been seeing people using snipers on both sides. We've been seeing fleet troopers. And then a lot of characters have pierce weapons. In fact, I think all do all characters have pierce weapons? I think all characters have pierce weapons. And so with all that pierce out there, I think that the red defense die with surge kind of sounds good, but when you start thinking about it more, it's not maybe as big as you would hope. Yeah, and for folks that have played 40k space marines uh certainly you know how fickle that that three up save can be which is functionally what a red with surge die is um yeah, yeah it feels, I mean, real, it feels, feels real bad when it goes blank it seems like someone brought this up on discord i forget who it was but i thought it was a very good point they were saying it seems like the upgraded death trooper squad will probably be like 100 points or something and your opponent can take two sniper teams for 88 points that are going to be able to really maybe give that death trooper squad some problems or cheaper so that's that's a little worrisome to me you know we'll see it could be there's some upgrade card or something that's gonna allow them to mitigate that weakness but right now with the amount of pierce out there i'm worried about the death troopers ironically i think some of the rebel units that have weaker saves to begin with are kind of in a stronger position when dealing with some of this stuff simply because in those situations like you're sort of like Wookiees are kind of immune to Pierce. Like they're not actually immune to Pierce, but if the expected number of saves that you get is zero, then the the fact that your opponent might have Pierce doesn't matter. 
Right. They actually make a very good tar pit for, you know, like a Luca Raider simply because all of their defense is wrapped up in their raw wounds. So, yeah. And then with uh, Chewy, you know, you can use his, you can use his guardian to take sniper shots that would hit a different guy. And, you know, the pierce on that sniper is going to be a lot less effective against Chewie's, you know, one in six save than it would be against Han's rerolling one in three save, you know? Right, he's, he's just got a massive health pool. He doesn't depend on that save at all for his for his defense. Yeah, you as the defending player stand to lose a lot less putting it into a, into a Chewie, where they're only going to make a one in six. Yeah, that's right. It's definitely a situation where there's... There's more to the more to it. Um, what do you think of Jin and Pathfinders? You alluded it a little bit with with recover and infiltrate, but I think they could give you a huge advantage on the recover objective, and if that's true, they'll be very strong to take. Like even just, I could easily see it being the case that someone would take like two, you know, two sniper teams plus a Pathfinder squad as their three special forces units for rebels. Um, I could easily see that happening. Uh, I think that. It'll be interesting to see what their heavy weapons do. It looks like one of their weapons is range 1 to 4 and has impact 1 and ion. And the gun that it was in the movie was like a machine gun, so hopefully it won't exhaust. And if that's true, that could actually be a very powerful weapon to add, though the guy that has it is unique. I was slightly bummed because I recently saw that it looks like they actually cost 68 instead of 60. I believe Luke Eddy confirmed that on the Discord. Um, which does make them feel pricey. Like, you know, in a game where a normal Rebel Trooper costs 10, to say that instead this squad is going to be 68, that's that's a lot of points. That's like 17 points a guy instead of 10 points a guy. Or someone who has admittedly a substantially better attack, but is not that much better on defense, unless you have a lot of suppression on you. Yeah, it it feels like, you know, you want a lot of suppression on these guys, and that first attack where they get caught without any suppression, they're going to be potentially pretty vulnerable. Yeah, it does seem like that might be a reason to take deck and cover with them, but I think deck and cover is overpriced. I think eight points is too much for that ability. So it could be one of those situations where, like, all of a sudden you've put a lot of points into trying to make a unit more resilient. And when you get right down to it, they might not be all that tough. I don't know. It's going to need some testing. The one thing that I really do like about them, though, is that ability to potentially be a huge game changer on Recover the Supplies. You know, Legion is an objectives game, and things that give you advantages on the objectives are really important. It seems like they could be a little bit of a nuisance on other objectives, too, depending on where they're placed, like uh, moisture evaporators. Yeah, that's true. It's also Uh, interesting, uh, we'll have to see what the other side of their... There's these weird, like, reconfigurable guns that they have and the Death Troopers have and Jin has. So they're, they have one where on one side it's range 1 to 2, 1 red die, which is actually uh, not a very good upgrade at all because their, their default weapon is 2 white dice at range 1 to 3. So 1 red die is only 1 eighth better on average than 2 white dice, and you're only rolling 1 die instead of 2, so you have fewer chances to get crits. So that seems like a really bad upgrade, given that I think it costs eight points. But the question will be what the other side of it does. If the other side is really tight, you know, maybe that is something that you want to go for. Yeah, if the other side's like a long range configuration that that matches range with the heavy the heavy weapons, like that's that would just be incredible. 
yeah that's, really, that's side, what i'm hoping for especially if you can choose which side to start on if the other side is like a range one to four or something that would be really cool or even if it was range like two to four like you know they could have a minimum range and then if they get into that range you just swap weapons that would just be absolutely sick yeah um so uh, we're going to shift gears here just a little bit um, from talking about units to talking about just um, playing Legion in general. Um, so first of all, are you going to LVO? Will you be present? Uh, yes, I believe so. I have a ticket. I have registration. I do not, you know, I haven't figured out all the flights and hotel logistics yet, but that is something that I'm currently planning to do. All right, sweet. So we will be seeing you in person at LVO, which is awesome. Um, and then, uh, so now that now we got that under, out of the way, um, I think a lot of folks who are listening to us on the sort of like improvement track, like I'm listening to this show cause I want to get better at Legion. Um, I think they would appreciate, you know, especially coming from someone who's a, a two-time champion, um, just some, some, a window into sort of the mental process and mechanics during the game. Like, um, you know, obviously you don't have to tell us too much, you know, don't tell us how to beat you, but um, we'd love to know uh, just some uh, some bits about, you know, how you approach the Legion from the mental standpoint and from a mechanical standpoint as well, like how you move your units. You can also tell us how to beat you if you want to toss that in there too. Yeah, so I think one of the big recommendations to me uh, for me would be that I think it's important to use the... Um, I think it's important to like kind of use the the concepts of probability and so on in the game, which is going to sound sort of obvious. And there's like, you can have kind of an intuitive sense of doing this, but you can also, the calculations as how, to how likely different things are, are actually pretty easy to do. Um, if you think about just like the basic math behind the different attack and defense dice and understanding that, that gives you a good impression of like how likely different outcomes are. For instance, you should know that if a unit has two suppression when it activates and it needs to clear one of them to not panic, uh, the, you have a little bit better than even odds of clearing one of them. You have uh, five ninths, five ninths chance to clear at least one suppression, but you have only one, uh, one in nine to clear both suppression and act freely. Uh, so that just like that type of stuff, just kind of some basic probability is pretty useful to know. Um, another thing that I would say is that what you want to do is have like a very good understanding of what your own stuff does, because once you have a really good understanding of what your own stuff does, you don't have to spend a lot of time coming up with like plans or like figuring out how to do what you want to do. And you can instead kind of shift your attention to trying to mess up what they want to do, if that makes sense. And that's usually a pretty good, uh, that's usually a pretty good strategy to employ. For instance, when I was playing against Nicky Myland in the bracket, he had three speeder bikes in his list, and I had seen him fly them earlier, and it was quite good at like kind of isolating different components and trying to gain an advantage in terms of picking off enemy units or like bypassing units that were in certain positions and just focusing on another part of the army. So in that situation, I was really happy that we ended up playing on Long March because Long March greatly diminishes those bikes' ability to go around on the flank and isolate things, and I was able to keep my forces very grouped together. So he actually delayed engaging with the bikes so they wouldn't get picked off by just my massive shooting. And then by the time that he did go in, I was able to concentrate fire and pick off the bikes comparatively quickly, which I knew were sort of the key to his army. So 
and the the thing is though in order to do stuff like that and not kind of trip yourself up you have to have a good understanding of what all your own units do so you should just kind of get familiar with the units that you like using figure out what their roles are and then when it comes time to play a game look at your opponent's army list and figure out like okay what does this want to do how am i going to deal with it And just watching your games, uh, too, I'm always impressed in general by how few mistakes you make. But also, um, you know, we talk on this show a lot about fundamentals, doing things like always measuring and making sure when you um, drop guys in cohesion, you're doing it. Uh, you know, you're being mindful of all the rules that interact with that. Yeah, um, there's a few little things. You know, you try to put your heavy weapon in the center of the squad so that it doesn't get line of sight sniped. Um, those sorts of things are good. Yeah, you should be careful with cohesion. A common mistake that I see is people putting normal guys in front of their squad leader in a situation where it doesn't give them any advantage to do that. That usually means that your opponent can get a range advantage on you if they carefully measure the situation, since they can attack your unit if they're in range of anyone, but you can only attack if your squad leader is in range. So if you have guys that are closer to the enemy than your squad leader is, you're essentially giving them free range where they can potentially hit you and you can't hit them. And if someone carefully pre-measures that, you know, they can get an advantage. Oh, another one is that you should know that the distance of a speed two move from an infantry model, like a basic trooper on a normal base, is extremely slightly less than one range band. It's like millimeters less. Um, because the base is an inch, the movement tool is five inches and range each range band is six inches so you would think oh five plus one is six so therefore a normal infantry unit moves a full range band with a speed two move but because of the little like indentations in that movement template it actually isn't possible to move the full six inches and you will be short of the distance by twice the depth of one of the indentations because they cut into both sides of your move and so this sounds like just stupid trivia, but it has actually really important implications. For instance, it means if your fleet troopers are going to go shoot at Luke and you pre-measure to be exactly range two away, like at the very edge of range two, and then you shoot him, he cannot charge you with two speed two moves. He could do two speed two moves and then push you into combat to tie you up, but he's not going to get that free attack from charge in that situation. And that can be really important under the right circumstances. Yeah, so we no, can. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. No, you're, no, you're fine. Um, I was just gonna say uh, you're sort of known as you know both both your invader wins were done with a Wonder Twins list. Um, do you have any tips for other Rebel players that are running Wonder Twins? Yeah, I think that. Um, so I think Wonder Twins is cool. I think that. So originally, it's actually funny. I was planning on playing Luke six Z six squads and two ATRTs. And then I realized that Leia wasn't that much expensive than a full Z6 squad and that she was maybe actually better against troopers in cover in terms of firepower because of the way that Sharpshooter and Pierce interacts with that. And then she has the same defense as a full Z6 squad since she has six wounds and they have six wounds. So I viewed that just as kind of an incidental upgrade, but then it turns out the command cards and so on are actually a huge advantage. Uh, one important thing to do is to use your command cards properly you know, when you're using your preliminary bombardment, you know, there are some things that are a lot more valuable to hit than other things. For instance, if you can hit speeder bikes, it's very strong to do that. If you can hit like commandos or scout troopers in the open or sniper teams where you can see both models, it's really useful to do that. Um, if you're hitting like 
a snow trooper squad that has an officer, you know, that's not necessarily going to be as useful since, you know, on average, you know, maybe you kill a guy, but it's not going to impede them that much. It's not going to suppress them. Uh, you got to kind of think about how to use that. That's a very strong ability. And then these, uh, which one is it? The no time for sorrows that gives you free moves can be super critical. I actually consider myself kind of bad at using it because I often sort of pass up situations where I could gain an advantage by using no time for sorrows, just sort of by mistake. Um, and that card can allow you to do some moves that other armies really can't. Uh, there's sort of a big question right now, which is what upgrades you should take on Leia. Personally, I think that improvised orders is a great idea right now. We saw in the finals a situation where I had to activate Luke much earlier in a turn than I wanted to. And he went from being, you know, sort of far back. Some stuff could have shot at him, but he wasn't in immediate danger to kind of diving into the thick of things. That's not normally what you want to do. And improvised orders to mitigate that seems like a good call. I've also thought about esteemed leader on Leia to make her harder to pick off. Sometimes people really focus on her. But, you know, it sort of depends on situational factors and what you often find yourself playing against. One other thing that I'll say about Wonder Twins is that uh, the list is kind of boring in some respects, but it takes a lot of units that are just pretty efficient. And that can be that can be a good way to do it. Like just the basic Rebel Trooper plus Z6 units are quite effective in a lot of circumstances, in my opinion. So I'm, you know, it may be bland to have five Z6 squads and then a Rebel Trooper squad with no heavy weapon upgrade to claim objectives. But, you know, it can also it can also get some results. What do you think of Han? Where does he fit into the Rebel arsenal? I haven't played with Han anywhere near as much as I'd like, and I don't really know where he fits in, to be frank. But you think Change of Plans is pretty dope, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think, I think Han's command cards are very disruptive. Um, so his zero pip goes first against anything except for another Han. Change of Plans can really mess somebody up, and then actually Reckless Diversion can also really ruin someone's targeting priority. Um, so I'm actually pretty... I, I'm pretty excited to test more with Han. I think he might fit into kind of a different type of list, but you know we'll have to see how that goes. I want to try a list that has Han with um, that has both Han and Chewie. I do think Han has an issue where his defense dice. So technically, Han's re-rolling one in third save is better than a red defense die. Um, because Han will make a re Han will make a re-rolling. Han will make a re-rolling one in three save uh, five-ninths of the time. And so that's slightly better than half. Um, but again, you know, with a lot of snipers in the environment, if people are taking those easy shots on him and potentially doing some pierce damage that's going to go through that good save, that's really something you want to avoid. So I'm interested in potentially comboing him with Chewbacca to kind of get that opportunity to use... Uh, use Guardian and pull those sniper shots onto Chewie. I think that Han, if you're taking like kind of a gimmicky list, like if you're taking three Flamer ATRKs or whatever, I think Han is actually a great choice because his disruptive abilities are going to make it harder for your opponent to put together what they need to deal with the threat. For instance, you know, if you have three ATRKs and they all advance pretty aggressively on the first turn, and then on the second turn, you know, Han is right behind them and he's getting heavy cover thanks to low profile from shots going through their bases. And then on the uh, you know on the next turn you play reckless diversion and all those weapons that might have been sent to try to stop the ATRTs have to go for Han instead that could be really strong, um, but uh, at the same time Han doesn't have the the same like 
raw firepower as some other options, at least not, you know, if you're catching a bunch of enemy units in light cover in the open, he's actually pretty great in terms of damage output. But if you're firing at troopers in cover, or you're only getting one target at a time, his damage output is going to be pretty mediocre next to that of Luke. Um, so I think that Han is an interesting commander and one that's going to take some kind of nuance to operate at maximum efficiency, unlike some of the other things that are just sort of really strong by default. Yeah, it's funny. I actually tried that um, triple barbecue list at a tournament a few weeks ago that you mentioned. Um, it's really fun. It, it kind of works like you described, but I did find Han, you know, his, his utility is definitely in his command cards. He, he doesn't have the same, like, raw impact as, as Luke does. Yeah. Just um, for the folks at home, the barbecue in this case means three ATRT flamethrowers with uplink. Right. Um, yeah, if you guys didn't listen to the cast, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago where we talked about that? I, I forget when, but okay, yeah. not in the parlance just yet. Yep, sorry about the barbecue. Is Han plus three flamer RTs with uplink. Yeah. Um, so uh, we kind of asked this, you know, when we were talking about mechanics and stuff, but is there anything specific? Um, it's just, just sort of a broad brush question. Do you have any more, like, general advice? Um not even just specifically for Rebel players, but for Legion players in general that want to improve? Yeah, in terms of stuff that I think you can do to improve, uh, I mentioned earlier figuring out some probability stuff, knowing the measurements. Um, I, think one, I think one other piece of advice that I would give is that you, should, um, you shouldn't get too wrapped up in like what the like what people in other areas necessarily say. Like I know, like right now, for instance, I know in the online meta, which is in theory the best, but like, you know, in practice, is it the best? Who knows? In theory, like there's reasons to think it might be theoretically, but like if the online meta says, hey, you know, this list just won the tournament, you know, it has very little impact. It has just a bunch of troopers and snipers and stuff. But then at your local store, people are still playing like dual ATSTs and stuff. And you're having a lot of trouble getting through that armor. Uh, you should adapt to the conditions that are actually at the place that you play. Like, I think sometimes people kind of get ahead of themselves and think they're going to be real clever using, like, meta strategies or whatever. But it's important to realize that, you know, you should adapt to, the ta like, the types of tables that you're going to be playing on in your area and the types of lists that you're going to be playing against in your area. It doesn't matter if something's good in theory if, in practice, it's not, uh, it's not adapted to the local conditions because... In miniatures games, much more so than in card games and stuff like that, uh, di differences in situational factors and local conditions can be a huge deal. For instance, I think, you know, if your tables are all light cover and almost no heavy cover, Han on offense is actually crazy. Um, and conversely, you know, if your tables are all like really built up tall buildings or something, and it's really hard to get line of sight, you might want to go for much more short range units you know, Boba Fett might be a lot stronger because of his ability to jump over those things. It's really going to depend a lot on the local environment, both in terms of terrain and in terms of lists. And you should, you should definitely prioritize adapting over like playing something that's right in theory, but might not serve you well in practice. The one caveat, of course, is that if you're going to go to a big major tournament, kind of all bets are off on that because you don't know what it's going to be like. So you have to try to kind of predict the metagame that will evolve at that time. So if you're going to something like, say, LBO, where there's 64 players, 
Yeah, that's know? a good example. So I don't really know what the LVO meta is going to be like, because if we look at some of these other major tournaments and we look at the Invader League and so on, the results in them have been very different. Like the list that did well at PAX Unplugged this weekend, like, you know, to me, it looks like a crazy list. Like it does not seem like something that would be all that good. But at the same time, you know, this guy won a tournament with it. And that's like kind of a different situation. So you have to kind of be prepared for all comers, I think. And I would generally advocate trying to take something that's balanced and can deal with a wide variety of scenarios rather than something that's like gimmicky in that sort of situation. Simply because if you don't understand what other people are going to be using, there's a higher chance that people are going to be using something that you haven't thought of or something that messes with whatever trick you're going to do. In general, I only like doing like really gimmicky or skewed lists in situations where I feel like I understand what people are playing and there's a gap against that, if that makes sense. Yep. So so uh, maybe in like a team league? Yeah, Team League has a weird format with the like counterpicking of lists that makes those sorts of lists actually a lot better in theory, but also in some sense is even riskier because if your opponent counterpicks them, it could be horrible. Uh, that adds actually a really interesting layer of meta to it that I don't think you're going to encounter in normal tournament play, but is certainly worth considering. Um, are you uh, you're in Yavin yeah, based Team League, right? Yep. Yeah, I think I think if I recall correctly, he's on a team with uh, Riggins, who is a top legged player from the first season, and Tyrion, the guy that made the mod, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> so that's yeah, an awesome team to look out for. <laughs> if I recall correctly, the final in the season one was me versus Riggins. I think and that's correct as well. It was, yeah. And that was actually a um, that was actually a key positions game where key positions did favor me. I kind of misdeployed it though. I could have taken more advantage from it than I did, and he attacked my area really aggressively while abandoning his own, with the end result that he sort of pushed me off my own objective while my other guys were coming to support it, and I took his objective. So we sort of traded, but I was able to force push his Luke off the board, which is no longer allowed. But it was really strong when I did it there. And at that point, he conceded the game. Um, and I'm happy that you can't force push characters off the board anymore because that was really stupid. Yeah, that was a good change for sure. Um, I do think, though, that you should be able to force push characters off buildings because that's, like, that's the way it always worked in like Jedi Outcast and stuff like that. Pushing people off ledges is like the main use of that thing. Yeah, I wonder if that was just like a strict balance choice or if maybe they thought it was too clumsy mechanically, I don't know. But it certainly feels like it should be thematic to push someone off a ledge or a building. I think you should be able to force push someone, you know, if any of the game designers are listening to this, I think you should be able to force push somebody off the edge of a building and you should do a speed one move that just ignores the height and just puts them at the ground level. And then they have to like, I don't know exactly how the potential falling damage would work, but like... You know, maybe you roll some attack die against them for each height of terrain, or something like that. You could just do like a uh, like a clamber check, except you don't. Yeah, have maybe it like counts as maybe it counts as a double clamber or whatever. So you have to roll two white dice for each guy. That um, would be cool. That would be fun. Um, and uh, <laughs> Luke actually, Luke Eddie actually commented uh, today uh, on our last episode, so. Uh, oh yeah tight well luke eddie if you're listening to this episode <laughs> i want i want people to get forced pushed off the edge of buildings and stuff man that'd be tight there you go um, <laughs> oh and while we're uh, at it like 
please errata the airspeeder or something. It's the only unit in the game that's like totally not usable right now. And that overstates it. It's usable, but it's uh it's, I would it's like 30 points off. I would start testing it at 150 instead of 175 and maybe go from there and see, you know, see how those numbers play out. Because I think Oh, and also, I'm sorry, Luke Eddie, if, if you're watching. Jeez, it, man. Wow. But, Dear Santa. Uh, Luke, I'm sorry I sold you out as a listener. Right. Please implement a wobbly model rule. It's really bad that this game doesn't have one, especially for that airspeeder and the speeder bikes. Um, the rules for those vehicles interacting with terrain are very strange. The fact that your base can't overhang the edge of like a building or a cliff or something is really weird, in my opinion. And it leads to these crazy scenarios where it's like, oh, yeah, because there's a building here, my, you know, attack aircraft that's supposed to be like 50 feet above the battlefield or more like can't land in this area and is going to crash. It's, it's totally crazy. And the airspeeder, you know, that's just sort of another nail in the airspeeder's coffin because its base is so big, which means that it's more vulnerable to these sorts of mishaps. But it's also, in my opinion, not great with some other things as well. But... That's just like my opinion, man. Okay, no, no more, no more pleas to the game designers for me. I'll, I'll add one of that talent. Make it immune to grenades, please. It's supposed to be oh, fifty yeah, feet I off mean, the that's, ground. That's like preposterous. Yeah, that is also yeah pretty awkward. Okay. Luke, you can turn the podcast back on now. You don't need to. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, um, it's been very uh, informative. Kingsley and we will um, we'll definitely have to uh, uh, meet up at LBO. It sounds like it's oh, gonna yeah, be, for sure, man. Uh, sounds like it's going to be the who's who of Legion. So are you guys are you guys all in the uh, are you guys all in that tournament? I believe we're all going. We're all going, yeah. Hey, yeah, that's, that's going to be hype. Yeah, I'm not playing. I uh, I'm judging. So oh, cool. Uh, I didn't I didn't want to squeeze somebody else out of a spot. So nice. Yeah. Um. My you know I'm hoping. I have my LVO ticket and I have my Adepticon ticket, so I'm hoping to qualify for Adepticon. And if I don't, you know, there's that last chance event over at Adepticon, and we'll see what happens there. Yeah, and it sounds like that's also a 64-person tournament, which has already filled, but they're they're already, uh, I think they're saying there might be as many as like eight spots from that one, so. Yeah, it's interesting. There's been a lot of demand for some of these some of these big events. I think that, like, yeah, I think they should be running more tournaments. I was surprised when they didn't have any of those kind of store qualifiers. Like, what were they called? The, the rally points. Rally points, yeah. I think. Yeah, the rally point qualifiers. There's some like that have been put up as Facebook events and so on, but they're actually for next season. I think it would have been tight to have some more of those in the first season, kind of just promote some more local play and so on. Yeah, it'll, I think probably the second season we'll see those, but I, it sounds like uh, organized play from FSG. FFG just maybe didn't get their act together quickly enough, so. Gotcha. All right, man. Well, we're going to let you go. Um, Sounds good. It's been a pleasure. And uh, good luck in Team League, unless we're facing you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. So that was our interview with Kingsley. And we hope you enjoyed it. And we will be seeing you next week when we're going to talk about PAX Unplugged and the Legion tournament there. And just one more little reminder, the Yavin-based Team League is opening tomorrow, so keep your eyes peeled on the Yavin Base blog, yavinbase.wordpress.com for more details. Uh, please 
go there. And if you haven't joined the Legion Discord, join it because you are missing out. If you are not a member, you got you to gotta join the, in the conversation and read everything that's there. But uh, tomorrow, check it out. Yavin Base Team League is opening. And um, we're going to see you all in a week here on Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. I'm Endless. I'm Archimedes. And I'm Dashes. All right. We will see you all next week. Ciao. Join us next time for another edition of the Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. This has been a Fifth Trooper production. <laughs>